Before real estate investors go off the deep end into inflation paranoia, that they really look into the data. Welcome to the A Fire Podcast, now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Those of us of a certain age will never forget the effects of real inflation. And so, like anyone who is traumatized, we seek confirmation of its return in every economic sign. And there's quite a few signs right now to look at. So Martha Payton, the Managing Director of Real Assets and Applied Research at Egon and author of an article titled Revisiting Inflation for our most recent summer issue of AFIRE Summit, has agreed to help sort through all of this, uh, what it means and, and, and where we're going. So thank you, Martha, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. It's my pleasure to be here, Gunnar, and I thank you for the invitation. An absolute pleasure and, and really a great article uh, this last month. I, I, I encourage everyone to take a look at it. So, all right. Um, we always talk about inflation uh, in real estate, or basically everyone always talks about inflation. And we all make predictions about when it's going to happen. Um, and you and I have both heard all sorts of tales about how the world's going to fall apart once it happens. Uh, I seem to remember 1999, 2002, 2010, pick your year. And someone was saying that inflation uh, was going to happen. So you asked the question, are the fears of inflation rational? And, and I guess then the first question for you is, are they? Put aside what may be their personal memories of the stagflation of the 1970s, of the uh, 20% treasury rates uh, when Paul Volcker was uh, chair of the Fed in the very early 1980s, uh, and the havoc that that wrecked uh, on the economy and on investment world. Now, some of us, uh, though we don't like to admit it, are old enough to actually remember living through that. Uh, we are also very generous in describing that period to those who didn't live through it and uh, very effective in passing our paranoia uh, about inflation to younger uh, generations. So what I do in the article is to say, you know, whoa, let's look at the data. And I start out by looking at the data that is available uh, from financial markets. People who trade treasuries, uh, who trade uh, um, inflation-protected treasuries, they watch these issues not only day to day, but moment to moment. So if we take a look at the market for treasuries, and we take a look at the market for tips for inflation-protected treasuries, it gives us a window into what participants in those markets are thinking about inflation. 
So in the article, what I show is that back in March, um, Treasury protected, inflation protected treasuries, tips were trading at a minus 1.67%. And what that meant is that um, market participants were looking at inflation as essentially having a negative probability. Now, that reading as of last week is minus 1.75%. Now, if you expected 5% inflation, let's say, over the five-year period that these tips cover, you would not expect to see a negative there. So the market is telling us that over a five-year period, inflation's not a concern. Now, for an even clearer uh, view of inflation, if you take a look at that yellow line in the chart, that is the yield on five-year treasuries. Back in March, it was 0.88%. It is currently 0.71%. So investors are willing to buy five-year treasuries at a yield even lower than what they were willing to accept back in March. If you're willing to accept an interest rate of less than 1% a year over a five-year period, it means you're not particularly worried that inflation is going to wipe you out. So market participants are saying we're not particularly worried. Then we take a look at actual inflation readings. And in the paper, I'm showing a chart of what is called the core PCE um, inflator. And that is the measure that the Federal Reserve looks at. It comes from the GDP survey and refers to personal consumption expenditures. This is inflation we see in our everyday life, personal consumption expenditures. We exclude in this measurement food and energy costs because those are particularly vulnerable to all sorts of transitory shocks, and they're not really a good measure of underlying structural inflation. And that's really what you have to worry about. So when we put this chart together back in February, uh, the personal consumption expenditure uh, inflation year over year was 1.4%. Extremely low, in line with the very low uh, two percentage, uh, two percent ish inflation that we've been seeing most of the past five years. Now, if you go a couple of months out to the end of March, it was up to 
you go to the end of April, it was up to 3.1. And if you go to the end of May, it was up to 3.4. Now, that's a red flag. What's going on there? It's not food. It's not energy. We've excluded those things. What is driving that inflation? Well, if we dig down into the categories of inflation, we get a much more complete picture. Now, when you look item by item, what you see is that automobiles and used car prices have gone through the roof. Why is that? Well, they have gone through the roof, number one, because production has slowed down due to impediments in the supply chain, particularly impediments in the supply of semiconductors, of computer chips. You know that uh, you get in your car, your panel lights up, it's full of computer chips, God forbid your motherboard dies, you're in trouble. So production of cars has slowed down, and that is pushing up new car prices. Moreover, prices of used cars have gone through the roof, in part because the rental car agencies trimmed back the number of cars in their fleets in response to the COVID recession. Uh, Hertz in particular went bankrupt, cut back on the size of its fleet, sold off used cars, and as a result, that whole pace of how car rental companies acquire and then turn over their fleets, that has all been disrupted. We are also um, beyond uh, used car prices. We have seen uh, apartment rents go up, uh, particularly in the most recent months uh, as uh, the pace of rentals has gone up, and that is primarily take advantage of the fact that rents dropped off during the recession. So you've got to look at what economists call base effects. Yes, prices of certain things have increased over the past year, but where were we a year ago? A year ago, we were in the middle of the extremely worst economic contraction that we've seen since the Great Depression. And because of that contraction, we had a wide variety of prices just dead in the water. So when you've got, when you look at your base and you look at the base effect and you see the increase, well, that's a transitory adjustment. That means that the economy is struggling to get back to some semblance of order. As that's happening, there's a question a lot of people raise. When, when talking about inflation in particular, they raise, 
well, there's been three to four trillion in in, in federal spending uh, in terms of COVID relief. There's another one, 1 1.2, and infrastructure coming. There's a lot of spending, and that our debt now exceeds our GDP for the first time. Uh, do your traders discount that entirely, or do they see the effects of that working out differently than I think some people are frightened of? Well, I think currently um, participants in the market for treasuries, and that's where the debt is financed, um, are discounting it almost completely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think initially... Uh, when the American Rescue Package went through, and that was the $1.9 trillion uh, that was passed in March, I think there was a little trepidation in the Treasury market over this big chunk of additional spending. Uh, however, um, that at this point in time appears to have completely disappeared. Um, and I'll give you some numbers. At the end of March, the 10-year Treasury was a hair above 2%. And that was really the reflection of, you know, let's stop, let's take a breath, let's see um, how we're going to interpret this additional spending. Uh, and again, last week it was 1.27. So the market considered... And the market um, basically got over their inflation fear. Well, why is that? It is basically a digestion of, number one, how much slack is there in the economy? Still a considerable amount of slack, even after the very, very strong uh, June uh, jobs report, we are still almost 7 million jobs lower than where we were before COVID recession. So that is really your best indicator of how much slack remains in the economy. And you add on top of that the fact that Treasury rates are so low. There is so much capital looking to be invested that um, it there's just no sign that that deficit is putting any kind of pressure um, on financial markets. So, Going a little further into the report, um, I look at, well, why are real estate investors in particular so concerned about inflation now? And there are really two items to explore here. The first one is the importance of commercial mortgage debt to real estate investors and the worry that, well, if there's a spike in inflation, mortgage rates are going to skyrocket, mortgage availability is going to drop off, and oh my, my, what am I going to do? Well, I take a look in the report at uh, life companies, uh, commercial mortgage spreads. Uh, Agon uh, has a pretty large business 
uh, in commercial mortgages originated uh, for life companies. And what I show in the chart is that there is a significant spread between uh, the five-year treasury and the ACLI, which is the source of the data, the American Council of Life Insurers, there's a significant spread between commercial mortgage contract rates and the five-year treasury. That spread is a cushion that can absorb some bouncing around in the five-year treasury and still remain a very attractive source of investment return uh, for insurance companies. And I'll give you some updated numbers. Um, back in, uh, back in um, April, the five-year treasury was 0.37%. Uh, at the end of May, it was 0.79%, not far from where it is now. So uh, April to May, it went up 42 basis points. April to May, the spread on ACLI mortgage commitments went down 68 basis points. So what happened was the little bouncing treasuries got absorbed into that spread and pushed it a little narrower than it was. It serves as a cushion. Um, ACLI is reporting uh, that commercial mortgage originations are continuing apace. There is no sign that insurers are backing out of the market, that they're worried uh, that um, these returns are uh, going to get pummeled by inflation. Rather, returns on commercial mortgages remain attractive compared to fixed income investments. So, should commercial real estate investors worry about commercial mortgage availability? <coughs> well, there's no sign now uh, in the data that that worry is justified. Um, there's also, I think, the underlying structure of commercial real estate that should give us some assurance that its capacity to hedge against inflation is still there. And the most solid assurance is in the structure of leases, right? Lease duration um, and the structure of rent step-ups in leases help to create very, very clear and direct inflation protection. So if you are a tenant in the office building and your rent is indexed to CPI or CPI plus 100, that is rock-solid inflation protection for the property owner. 
Um, you also have inflation protection in expense pass-throughs. So if you are a retailer in a regional mall and um, you are past the expenses of uh, cleaning the common space, uh, air conditioning, utilities, property taxes on the common space, if that is passed through to you, then the landlord doesn't have to worry about inflation in those items because you, the tenant, are picking it up. Um, finally, um, for industrial space, leases are very commonly what's called triple net. And what that means is the tenant pays all of the expenses, the utilities, the property taxes, the repaving of the parking lot, the whole thing. Again, that protects the landlord against inflation in the cost of those items. So the way that commercial real estate is structured has built into it a fair degree of inflation protection. And that's what you see in the paper. In Exhibit 4, I look at NACRIF total returns versus inflation for five-year periods. Now, somebody may say, oh, wait a minute, that's not the way you're supposed to look at it. You're supposed to look at correlations. That's the way the bond pugs do it. That's what we should be doing. No, no. In bond world, you have instant liquidity. So you want to know day by day, how am I doing vis-a-vis -vis inflation? And that's what correlation tells you. In real estate world, investors commonly hold properties five years, six years, seven years. Period by period correlations really don't mean anything to us. What we want to know is, at the end of the day, when I sell this property, did I beat inflation? And using a five-year period, the data shows very clearly that you did. The only exceptions are properties um, that were affected by the real estate recession in the early 1990s. You can see in the chart that was a period when you didn't beat inflation. Even after the very deep 2008 financial crisis, property returns still beat inflation. Where are we right now? Well, if we look at NACRIF returns for the four quarters ending in March, total return 2.6%. If you look at CPI inflation, which is what I use in Exhibit 4, four quarters ending March, 2.6%. Absolutely flat to inflation during a period of very severe economic distress. So I put all of these things together and am I worried about 
the impact of inflation on commercial real estate? No, I'm not, because we are long-horizon investors. And what I see percolating in inflation now is very transitory. And I will tell you that from my roof, I can see freighters lining up to get into the port of Long Beach, California. They are lined up four and five deep. Never seen anything like it in 10 years of looking out at it from my roof. That is a sign of the disruption in supply chains. And how long will it take to straighten it out? Well, I think that remains to be seen. But it is, I think, a pretty good guess to say that it will not last long enough to um, have an especially negative impact on commercial real estate. Now, Gunnar and I can talk for another half hour about other kinds of threats to commercial real estate investors, but this program is about inflation, so I'll leave it there. So I, I think what I'm hearing from you is something that a, that a younger friend of mine will often say, we all need to just chill um, when it comes to We inflation. need to chill, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we have run out of time. Uh, I want to thank you, Martha, for spending some time talking through this. Encourage anyone who's listening to this, make sure you go to afire.org. The most recent issue uh, you can get right from our homepage and, and read Martha's articles with all her charts that pretty much lay this out in black and white. And there's some other colors in there as well, but it really lays it out quite, quite eloquently. Um, also, uh, encourage everyone who has not yet uh, signed up to or subscribed uh, to the AFIRE podcast, please do so. Uh, we're on just about every service that's out there. So uh, if you find one that we're not on, uh, let me know. We'll get on there. Uh, so thank you so much. And thank you, Martha, for being a part of the podcast. My pleasure. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.